Hi, I'm Katie Kramer, President and CEO of the Betcher Foundation. Welcome to Colorado Leadership Stories, where we talk to everyday, courageous leaders who have made transformational impacts in their communities and are building a better state for everyone. You'll hear from leaders and organizations and communities throughout the state as we explore the idea that leadership is an activity that anyone can do. Today, we're talking to Michelle Lucero, a Betcher Foundation trustee who is a powerhouse and community champion in Colorado. Michelle is the chief administrative officer and general counsel and chief flash mob officer <laughs> at Children's Hospital Colorado and so many other things. She's an inspiration, a mother, a mentor to many, including me, and we're going to talk to her about all those things and more. So let's get started with Michelle. Welcome to the studio. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, my friend. Oh my gosh, I was so excited for this. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, we'll dive right in. And I want to talk about your background, where you grew up. I know that was in southwestern Colorado, in rural Colorado. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that beginning story of your family and your home life and that region of the state. You bet. You bet. So I hail from Ignacio, Colorado, which... Like you said, in the southwestern corner, it's, I think everyone thinks that the state ends at Pueblo, right? And, but there's half of the state, it's just beautiful below that, the San Luis Valley, and then even beyond. But Ignacio's right smack in the middle of the Southern Ute Reservation. And so I grew up, oh, it was one of those childhoods that, you know, it's, I, I was talking to my kids recently, like we didn't have cell phones, there was no internet, like none of that. It was, three stations on the TV. We watched Lawrence Welk, right? I mean, so one of 11 children, mm. uh, big, big, big family. And I say we were in tranches. There were the first six and then the second five. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was it was amazing. It was that small town. Everyone loves, holds each other accountable, cheers for you, hardworking you know, there were the ranching kids, the city kids, which was, you know, kind of who I was in this town of a thousand. Mm -hmm. And then it was almost magical when you think back to it. I mean, at the time you didn't know that, but today when we see droves of people moving to these beautiful rural areas, we, you know, and, and you've got a little bit of that in your background with, you know, your husband and your family is the rules where it's at. Mm -hmm. And so it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Is there a formidable experience from your childhood or adolescence that helped shape you? Hmm. Other than jumping into the irrigation ditch and surviving, mm -hmm. uh, there's that. <laughs> there's... You know, what was interesting is there were those challenges that I don't know that I realized how significant they were until I got older. So, you know, it was... A, it, tiny, tiny town. So our graduating class was about 67 kids, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure there's much smaller ones. But I remember a couple of situations that later in life, as I reflected back on them, they were those things that I think when you have certain experiences, formidable or otherwise, especially the challenging ones make you grow, mm -hmm. right? So there were a couple just, you know, I, I, I started acting, right? So I I always knew I wanted to be a physician. That's a whole other story. I ended up being a lawyer, but I wanted to act. And it was kind of the thing mm -hmm. at our school. And one of the teachers, and her name shall go und 
unstated in case she's got grandkids who might listen to this. But she was not very nice. And so she told me that I really, really sucked as an actress, which killed me because I thought I was kind of good. So, you know, and, and it's it's OK to tell someone that they need work or they can. But I mean, it was really rough language. So when I went to college, I still thought that I wanted to act and such. But that that message was in the back of my head. Right. And it was just back there going, you're bad. Don't even try. So I did it anyway. So I tried out for a play in college. I think the first one was the music band. And so so I didn't go just like basic stuff. I went for the like one of the lead roles. Right. So I was McKaylee, Miss McKechnician, which was one of the sort of lead roles. And so as I can got a little more confidence back and that voice started disappearing. So then I tried out for West Side Story and got Anita and then uh, Antigone and was the lead in Antigone and Merchant of Venice and got the lead in Portia. So what I did, because I'm kind of, you know, naughty that way, is I received certain accolades. We gave out Best Best Actress Awards. So I sent all the clippings to this teacher who told me that I sucked. And I just wanted her to know that I kind of didn't. And so, but it was one of those things that you take that negative and it motivates you, right? And that's the best way to show, I'm not going to get down on this, right? I'm going to take that as motivation and it's going to spur me to whatever that level of success is. I didn't need to get best actress. I just needed to get on a stage to show, Mm -hmm. hey, I could do this. So, you know, it's so I've had, I have a couple little stories like that is growing up that I think can either derail you or can, can accelerate you. Absolutely. Tell us about the journey and you started to do that. So you leave Ignacio, you go to Kansas City, right? That's where you went to mm-hmm. to college. And then thinking you've got this acting thing, which is new, new news to me. I didn't know about that story before. But then and maybe you thought of physician and, and here you are, end up as an attorney. So how did that happen? Oh, my goodness. You know, I think it's I, I tell folks that my life and my resume and everything is a bit of a patchwork quilt, mm. right? That it's all these different squares that are kind of beautiful in and of themselves, but they look like they don't fit, but they ultimately do mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. So small town kid, and I say this frequently, <clears throat> excuse me, is that there's, especially in small towns, it feels like there's an invisible wall, right? It's really hard to jump over that and leave that loving, supportive, insulated community. It's hard. It's really hard. And I remember when I was applying to different schools, I also didn't, I was the first one, many of my brothers and sisters started school, but none of them ended up graduating uh, for various reasons. And so I knew that, you know, I, I didn't have great mentors on how to do this. So I had applied to Rockhurst where I went to, Notre Dame and Boston College, all ca- good Catholic schools, right? because that's what my dad wanted me to do. And I got into all of them and I got pretty much full ride scholarships to each of them, but I didn't understand the prestige component of it because I just didn't have anyone to tell me, hey, you might want to do Notre Dame or Boston College because they've got alumni networks that are going to allow you to do X and Y and Z and didn't have any of that, kind of clueless. So I picked the one that was closest, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what the small town girl did. You know, mom and dad would be able to drive to see me Notre Dame might get lost as class sizes at Rockhurst were 25 to 50. Mm-hmm. So it's that small town piece that I just didn't have some of the uh, the 
visibility to the world at that point. So I remember driving when we drove me out for school and, you know, with the green trunk locker with all my stuff in it, right? And and going into the school and it was such a big city, right? And it was while in our small community there we didn't face things like racism. We just didn't because everyone kind of loved each other. You were either you were either nice or a jerk. That's how we se- separated folks, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, oh, he's a nice person or she's a nice person or they're a real blankety blank. But when I got to the city, there was that different sense that kind of was a culture shock to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think for the first time I was, I was called certain slurs, you know, I didn't even understand them. And so it was, if that component was really interesting and learning of what how people assume who you are versus getting to know who you are. Mm. And that was that was just a yeah, so and then my you know, my mother would she was the queen at reverse psychology. So, you know, every time I'd hear about XYZ person getting married, because in a small town, that was kind of your if you didn't leave, that was your next step, right? Mm-hmm. So XYZ's getting married. Oh, I'm never gonna get a boyfriend. Honey, you're getting a degree, right? Yeah. Put the boyfriends to the side. XYZ person's having a baby. Oh, when am I ever going to have a baby? Right. So uh, I would say, Mom, you know, I'm missing all this stuff. I want to come home. Well, then, honey, just come on home. Just pack your stuff and come home. I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Right. So it was, she was the queen of reverse psychology and it just allowed me to dig in and become committed. So, you know, it's, it was a journey and it was, you know, all of these experiences make us who we are. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of those experiences, especially from the time you you finish at CU Law School, mm-hmm. you're in your career starting out. Is there some stories about some challenges you faced as a young leader? Maybe tell us some of those and, and how you overcame them. You bet. You bet. You know, the again, remember the small town kind of gal who it's I think we've got an innate sense of trusting mm-hmm. and believing the good in people versus looking for the negative side. It's hardworking. You know, I, I keep saying that because that's kind of who, if you were to see a common thread mm-hmm. um, of small town kids, that's kind of what we are. And I remember one of my first jobs as a lawyer and it was, I, I hesitate because it's it, it still kind of brings up certain feelings about it, but I was at a 17th Street law firm, one of the fancy ones, right? Which there's a whole story in how I got to that job. Earned it, by the way. So I'm in that job. You're, you're, if you think at that time, so we're talking 1989, where the law firms were huge. We're talking they hired new associates 10, 15, 20 at a time. Now there's maybe three or four. So it was big. And you're you're definitely in that you know beholden to the partners or the senior associates and they're kind of kind of like gods you know no no disrespect but that's they were just revered and I remember there was this one partner that would come into my office frequently like we're talking a couple times a week and tell the most racist jokes like would tell accuse like, the n word and and it was just like. Does he know he's offensive? Like, does he? And it's that, and if you know me, you know that I don't 
take well to things like that. And you know that I don't not tell how I don't take it well. So in other words, I talk back. And so he's coming in and, you know, he's telling me these stories or telling me these jokes. And I'm like, dude, do you think you're funny? Right. This is a partner. I'm barely low man on the pump. Well, I thought you'd enjoy it. So at the at my ex-husband and I, the man I was dating at the time is black. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I got a picture of the two of us and I set it on my desk so that as he walked in the door the next time, he would see that photo. And so he walked in and I, you know, I'm like, okay, here it comes again, walks in, he sees a photo and stops. And he's like, uh, and I said, oh, you didn't know that that was my soon to be husband. Oh, this is him. So when I tell you, I don't appreciate these jokes in general, I don't appreciate them. And it was, but it was something, it taught me speak up. Right. For whatever reason, this jerk, I could use other words, thought that it was okay to spew such disgusting stuff to this young, you know, impressionable associate. And I almost had to literally smack him in the face with something before he got it. Right. So I, again, a lesson is don't ever hold your tongue. And I don't. And so I try to do it. As the years have gone by, I've tried to be a little more judicious with it, a little more subtle at times, a little more, I don't say political because I'm just not that. I, you know, if it's, you're going to understand where I stand with something at all points, but it's, it's those little pieces that today you might call it a microaggression. I would just call it just being a complete jerk and ass, sorry, but that's what he was. And he needed to know that. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think when we feel comfortable standing up to that type of power, that it shows a number of things. And I think it also helps us grow as people and as individuals. Mm. Powerful story. Is there other advice as well that you would give to young professionals who are stepping into leadership roles for the first time? Oh my goodness, I love talking to young leaders. I just love them. And the first thing I tell them is be authentic, be you, Mm -hmm. right? Just be you. And, you know, it's, Leadership is not, and leadership's not for everyone, right? I mean, it's it's truly got to come with the passion. And as you step into the, if you feel that that's not your passion, it's okay to kind of step back out, right? Because it's hard work. And understanding that leadership is not about the leader, ever. Leadership is about those you serve. And if you've got that twisted going in and thinking it's about power, or it's about control, or it's about anything other than than serving the people that are part of your organization part of your team then you've got to you, you know look back at whether that it's the right thing for you so i i tell them really look make sure that you you understand what it means be authentically yourself you know and i think that the other thing i tell tell them is find a way to network right cuz i think that we grow when we surround ourselves with other leaders that push us, challenge us, help us think differently. And, you know, the networking that I grew up with, which was go play golf, go have a drink after work, go, it it could be whatever, networking can be whatever's natural for you. I network a lot hiking. I network, you know, just hanging out with someone having coffee or 
doing some other kind of of activity. So I, I I'd say do some strategic networking as a leader as well, mm. and just challenge yourself a bit. That's good advice, and get out your outside of your comfort zone a little bit too. Exactly. Yeah. So Michelle, you bless so many of us in the community with your leadership. You were just talking about that. There's a lot of organizations you're involved in, and and like the Betcher Foundation have benefited from your awesomeness in that way. But I'm curious, how do you choose where you spend your time, um, where you dedicate, where you invest your time? Maybe talk about some of those passions outside of work or in the community. And how did you choose those? You know, that's such a great question. I I think when I first started out years ago, and I've been this sense of, of community has been in my soul for forever, and that's that's a whole other kind of story behind that. But I think as I started out as a professional, because I, I volunteered since I was a kid doing different things in the community, but as a professional, I said yes to everything, which was kind of cool because it helped me form what I always knew in my heart were my passions. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, and and they always, they came back time and time again, even though I was trying or other things, it was, it's the investment in community, whether it's time, treasure, talent, you know, each of those is really has to come down to what you're passionate about. And so I'm passionate about empowering women. I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about kids in education. And I'm passionate about our Latino community, right? Really any community of color, but specifically the Latino community. So everything kind of continued as as I've increase my involvement as I've increased kind of my focus and and really zeroed in, it came to that. So you kind of cast a wide net. I think in your heart, you know where you, what, put your soul on fire. And after you catch that wide net, it kind of, it's, it, things kind of fall away and it comes to those items that really just set you on fire. And, you know, whether it's, that's the community piece, but the, the other piece of it is, you know, I love getting out and adventuring. And I've got a healthy sense of adrenaline junkie in me. So you might see me jumping out of a plane. I'm going to be base jumping in Moab in about, I don't know, next weekend, I think it is. So, you know, I mean, it's all, there's, who knows what's going to happen? You you asked me to do it and I'll probably say yes, <laughs> especially with noted slight danger element to it. <laughs> I think you've been involved with me with some of those. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> Maybe. I love it. Mm-hmm. Michelle, your impact, we were, we were talking about that as a leader, but one of the places it's been fun to see your impact and influence show up the last couple of years, especially, is you're an incredible public speaker. And I've been the beneficiary in the audience <laughs> of that wisdom in a number of contexts. And in fact, I know that you've got a TED Talk coming up in, in November, which is really exciting. But I wonder if you could share a moment when you realized the impact of your words, what that could be in someone else's life. Oh, my goodness. What a beautiful question. I love speaking. That goes back to that theater piece, right? Yeah. And, and you know, I'm number 10 of the 11 kids. So I didn't get, I think I'm trying to make up for the words that I get and didn't get to use as a kid. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> let me talk, let me talk. And there... I did a talk a few years back for women in leadership, and it was a national group. And I was talking about community involvement, curiously, and philanthropy, and how those 
connect and kind of reinvigorate us as leaders or it, it amplifies our leadership. And it was, it, you've done, I've heard you speak and you, you're the same, you're, I just sit in awe when I hear Katie Kramer speak. And, but as a speaker, I bet when you hit the mark, you kind of feel it. Like it's like, you know, it's, you just kind of feel it. And so it was one of those speeches that afterwards, and I don't even like calling them speeches because they're, they're discussions, they're talks, you're, you're interacting with the, the audience, but it just felt good. Like at the end of it, you're like, yeah, mm, drop the mic. I did that. Right. And so it was like, I feel good. So afterwards, you know, you know, if you're, you've seen it, people come up and talk with you or they might want to have an, and at the end of every talk that I give, and I, I won't do it with the TED Talks, it, it doesn't allow you to do that. But I invite if you would like a mentor moment, or if you'd like to just talk to me more, here's my number. So I'll give my cell number, I'll give my email out. So this one young woman came up afterwards, and she couldn't get to me because there was a couple other people talking, and then another session started. So I saw her, and she was patiently waiting in line, and then she went and sat back down. Didn't get any information from her. But within a couple of days, I started getting messages on LinkedIn. She found my email at work. I'm like, this girl is, she is persistent, right? And so she finally, she's like, I am stalking you. And unless you go have coffee with me, I'm going to continue to stalk you. <laughs> so it was one of those I'm like, I will go have coffee with you, girlfriend. Okay. So we went and had coffee. Elizabeth is her name. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, I love this young woman. I'm starting on her leadership journey. And so that must have been at least seven years ago, eight years ago. We have stayed in contact, obviously. And, and I, I'm, I wouldn't call her that I'm her mentor, but... We have mentor moments where she'll call and just want to run something by me. But it's been, that was the moment, right? Mm-hmm. When she said, can I just ask you another question? Can I just call you sometime? Can I text you sometime when I get in? And that's when you hit it, right? When when you see that in someone's eyes and you feel it and they stalk you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the most professional way possible. In the most professional way possible. Yes. And, and so, and we're still great friends and we... We don't see each other as often, but every I see her on LinkedIn or and and I just see her trajectory, and it's just I love every minute of it. And to know that it started mm-hmm. back at that talk—that's yeah, awesome. That was kind of cool. That's awesome. Well, we know that leadership can be messy mm. at times. Funny. Share a story of a leadership challenge where you learned something that made you even a better leader. Ooh. About how many how many examples of that do I have? You know, I keep coming back to one that I've had recently. And again, as a leader, we we are. If, if I truly believe this, you don't. You're not in leadership for yourself. You're in it for your people. And I'm lucky because I've got the most brilliant team current that I now. They're just freaking brilliant and smarter than me on every front. They're. You know, and it's one of those that I tell them, you know what, my job is just to clear the deck for you mm-hmm. and let you be brilliant. So you tell me when it's time for me to get out the broom and start clearing the deck because that's what my role is. And one of my leaders, just phenomenal. I mean, I recruited her hard. I might have stalked her a little bit professionally, of course. Mm-hmm. And she came to work for us at Children's. And I I thought I was doing all the things to make sure that she was feeling and believing that she was valued and that she was a, a very 
important member of the team until she came to me and said, hey, I'm looking to interview for other positions. And I've always told my team, hey, I will be your biggest supporter. And if you feel that there's something outside of whatever organization we're working in that's going to challenge you more or help you on your journey, I'm going to be there to support you. Is it going to hurt? You bet. Am I going to be sad? Absolutely. Am I going to try to keep you? You bet. But I will be there to support you. So she came and told me, she goes, I'm I'm thinking of, in fact, I am interviewing for this other role. And it was devastated because I thought I was doing everything. I thought I was, you know, whenever she did something awesome, I made sure everyone knew she did something awesome, right? And it wasn't me, it was her. And she told me something that was so pivotal in my leadership journey. And this is after being a leader for many years, or as people call me a leader, I hope I'm still on that path of learning. She said, you know what, Michelle? She said, you're you're one of the best cheerleaders I've ever had. You're not a great champion for me. Mm. And and she said, and those are different. And she was so right. And it hit my gut. Because yeah, I was raw rawing her, but I wasn't making sure that in a in a meeting where she should be taking the lead or she, you know, it I I wasn't championing her for that. Mm-hmm. And so we talked through it. And, you know, that night it hit, I mean, I couldn't sleep. And it just hit my gut and and it it really taught me how to be, I think, a better leader, her honesty and her vulnerability. And I kept her. She stayed, thank goodness. And I tell her all the time, you taught me one of the biggest leadership lessons and thank you. Just thank you. And I hope I live up to that every day. That's a great story. Well, you're almost out of the hot seat of the microphone here. We got, but we're in the lightning round. But can I sing? You said I could sing. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So here are the, here's your lightning round. And then, you know, if you want to throw in a little tune at the end, absolutely. Okay. Okay, Michelle. (laughs) What is your favorite Colorado hobby? Hiking. 100%. Maybe kayaking, maybe mountain biking, hiking. Hiking. Okay. Very good. (laughs) Uh, Favorite Colorado landmark? Uh, oh, fast. I don't know if they're landmarks or towns. So I'll say Leadville. I love Leadville, mm-hmm. mountain biking, hiking. Mm-hmm. I love Glenwood Canyon. Mm-hmm. You know, I should say Ignacio because it's amazing, but that's, y'all are going to expect that. Yeah. So those two, I just can't get enough of. Love it. Oh, and this is one of my favorites to ask you because we talk about superheroes with you a lot. But what action hero do you most identify with? My mom. No, wow. <laughs> but actually, it's Wonder Woman. Uh-huh. Can I say why? Yes, please. Okay, so Linda Carter, you know, she was Latina. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she was. So here's here's a Latina Wonder, you know, our, here. but she was fast. She had great stamina. She super smart. She empowered other people, and she had magic magic bracelets. I could, absolutely. I don't picture that right now. Uh huh. <laughs> and then, okay, Michelle, what are you currently binging? Is there a show, a book, a cod- podcast that you're loving right now? Everything. I am reading a book called Disrupt Yourself, Ooh. which I love. Yeah. Have you heard of this book? Mm-hmm. I love this book. Like I love this book. So I'm binging on that. I binge every weekend on Yellowstone. I can't get enough of Yellowstone. Cannot. You, it, you name it. I'm so behind on certain ones. I used to binge on, uh, you know who else I'm binging on? Hmm. Coach Prime. Yes. Coach Prime. I, <laughs> he's my leadership guru. He just doesn't know it. But I binge on that man. Anything he says, does. Uh, I, he is, he's a leader. I love him. So I binge on Coach Prime. Awesome. Sco buffs. Let that. I'm going to love him, baby. Yeah. <laughs> 
Wonderful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun and great things I've learned from you over the years and today. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be part of the Betcher team. Talk about places that, you know, that and organizations that you love. It's my Betcher family is just everything. So thank you for inviting me to be part of the family. We're glad you're part of it. Thank you for joining Colorado Leadership Stories, where we hope to inspire the next generation of Colorado community builders, doers, and difference makers. Colorado Leadership Stories is presented by the Betcher Foundation. The Betcher Foundation supports Colorado by empowering leaders and communities with tools to tackle challenges and pursue opportunities, building a better state for everyone. With an 85 plus year legacy of giving back, we're committed to amplifying our impact for future generations. That's the spirit of Betcher.